Hi, and welcome to NACIO Voices, where we talk all things state IT. I'm Amy Glasscock, still recording from my house here in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Matt Pincus, still socially distancing here on whatever day of the week it is in D.C. On today's episode of NACIO Voices, we're going to continue our topic of discussing how state CIOs continue to respond to the COVID-19 pandemic. We'll also hear from one of our state CIOs who has a fascinating background and a long list of interesting professional endeavors. That's right, Amy. We are thrilled to be joined by Teresa Cizurek, CIO in Colorado. Teresa has been CIO in Colorado since January of 2019. She is a tech entrepreneur, has an engineering degree, and is also an author. We know she is incredibly busy right now. So, Teresa, thanks so much for joining us on NACIO Voices today. It's great to be here. Thank you. So, Teresa, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about how things are going in Colorado right now. Can you discuss your involvement and role with regard to Governor Polis's overall coronavirus strategy? Certainly. Well, these are extraordinary times for CIOs. Unlike many state CIOs, I am a member of Governor Polis's cabinet and intricately involved with the strategy and, and discussions. And so, I have been involved sort of in two primary roles with regards to the coronavirus. One I call keeping systems operational or KSO, you know, to ensure service to Coloradans in a fast changing environment. And secondly, to innovate, to prevent, stop, spread and recover. And so with regards to those two roles, I also serve in a overall sort of umbrella to help motivate and direct and inspire my team. Great. So that kind of leads me to my next question. We do consider you to be a positive and motivating person, as we have seen firsthand in some of For our sure. NACIO meetings and sure. conferences. Yeah. <clears throat> so I'm wondering, how have you have you been able to maintain a sunny and optimistic outlook during these times? And also, how have you tried to increase morale with your team? Great question. Well, yes, I do believe that optimism is so important. You know, being optimistic or having an upbeat, positive disposition where you believe that good will ultimately prevail will carry us through. And so I have this philosophy. I call it the pursuit of passionate purpose approach. I did a bunch of research in between my different entrepreneurial startups prior to coming to the CIO role. And what I asked people that I interviewed, I said, what are the factors that help you succeed? You know, those that most likely found and pursued and successfully delivered on their passionate purpose. I found that those people who were most successful had certain traits that I call the sunflower traits. And so I encourage my people to be a sunflower. There is a trait that aligns with each letter of the word sunflower. Like S is self-confident. N is never ending, being persistent. And O in sunflower is optimistic. And R is being resilient. And so I encourage others to be optimistic. And I try to give them an approach on how to do this. One of the things I do in terms of communicating, motivating, and inspiring 
you know, the people in the Office of Information Technology is to use what I call this four-stage pursuit of passionate purpose process where you get to know yourself or where your passions are. You align those passions, secondly, with a passionate purpose. You third, pursue that purpose with all your heart, with all your soul, persistently with the right people until on step four, you assess progress and make some mid-course corrections. So whether we know it or not, we're pursuing this in, I consider a circle, a sort of a cycle, the sacred circle of life. Mm -hmm. And along the way, there are certain strategies that can help you move more quickly, smoothly through. One of them is called the pack strategy. And this is where you unpack the burdens or things that are hindering you and pack the energizers, just like you wouldn't go on a trip without a suitcase or a briefcase or a pack. I suggest to my people, let's figure out what energizes us and pack that and let's unpack the hindrances. And right now, fear, uncertainty is causing a lot of anxiety. So I use this model, the pursuit of passionate purpose process, along with these success strategies. The first one I mentioned was the PAC strategy. Mm -hmm. So I guess given the amount of stress right now, how has your team adopted? Are, are you still using that model? And is it still working with your team? I mean, given the amount of stress and probably long hours they're working right now? Well, actually, there is nothing as practical as a good theory. And in the hard times, when we're sort of like a lemon being squeezed, you know, um, and you want to make lemonade rather than have, you know, sour juice come out, something yep. like the pursuit of passion and purpose process and these strategies I have found has been very, very helpful because it gives people an anchor. And so when we set out our strategic plan for the year, I included this foundation. And then when we're doing things to keep the team aligned and moving in the right direction, I go back and leverage them. So for example, another strategy is the connections strategy. So in times like this, especially when we're moving away and moving more remote and teleworking, we have like over 95% of the Office of Information Technology working remotely right now with the essential and critical people still on site, communications is more important than ever. And so we're doing things like weekly calls for all voices, dedicated to answering employee questions, dedicated to giving them the overall guidance. I talk about this process and strategy. Another thing we do are weekly check-ins via a survey to make sure that our employees have what they need to work remotely or to work if they're essential on site. Do you have the technology, the manager support to do your job? We also have special COVID task force meetings that meet daily that can really help us focus on the critical essential items that are due immediately because IT has never been more important. I tell people that this is our moment to shine. And just like a sunflower raises its head to the sun, you know, in an optimistic way, we need to set the example, be the role model, and let our spirit shine. 
For sure. So from an IT perspective, you mentioned about 95% of the state working remotely. Um, Can you talk about specifically what your team has been focusing on from an IT perspective and what, you know, what are the biggest challenges? I'm sure uh, this is not, you know, business as normal. So I'm sure you've had to adapt to this new normal. That's right. It is a new normal. And so as we've been working on staying at home, the first thing we did was assess what were our critical and essential applications throughout the entire state, where we have 1,100 total applications we run on behalf of the Coloradans, there were probably 150 that ran into critical and essential, but we narrowed it down to maybe 15 that were just the most important. And so then we said, okay, who are the critical and essential employees that need to make sure that they're here on site or that we for sure can keep connected. And so I'm really proud of our team, you know, whether they're working on COVID-19 activities or keeping our systems operational securely, everyone has really stepped up to the plate. So first of all, in OIT, we have maybe 90, 95% of our employees working remotely. That varies by agency by agency. You can imagine corrections, you know, has a different need for people to be on site and the state patrol has need. So they may not be quite at those levels, but they've been putting in a great effort. And so one of the things we did was assess what kind of equipment they needed in order to be successful working remotely. And so um, we put together a tech kit, which is a document that gives guidance for equipment and how to set it up. We took an inventory of the different agencies using our IT directors. Those are the OIT employees who are the main interface into our 17 consolidated agencies. And we found that some of them needed extra laptops in order to work remotely. Many of them needed um, virtual private network VPN capabilities. And so another thing we had to do was start equipping people with the right equipment and making sure that our network capacity and our both from voice and data were sufficient. Now we're finding, we're very pleased that we're holding steady and we're easily able to support the load of having moved so many people remote. One of the things we did was we turned off with the agency executive director's permission, certain non-essential applications like that were running in the background per se and adding a network load. Like, Mm. did they really need Pandora? Did they really (laughs) need YouTube? Now, some agencies said yes, like the ones who were running human services and had, you know, 23 hospitals and such, they use some of the, the tools to provide, you know, education and other things to their residents. But we were able to cut off, I think, about 19 non-essential sort of applications that were creating a load. We also, here in Colorado, we are a Google suite shop. Mm -hmm. And we were one of the first states to do that, one of the largest implementations. And so we have been holding Google office hours in order to help people who are remote, you know, understand better how to use some of these capabilities, especially like Google Hangouts. Now we have other virtual 
conferencing capabilities as well. We studied which ones we were going to standardize on. And then in our tech kit, we gave instructions on how people could use them. Mm -hmm. But those were some of the things that we needed to do to ensure that the remote workforce was able to operate. The other thing had to do with our service desk. Our OIT service desk started getting inundated. We were seeing like 2,000 inquiries per day and we were you know, being overloaded. So one of the things we did was increase capacity of the service desk, but we also moved to automation. We um, have now almost every agency set up where they can do password reset automatically. And this has decreased the load on our service desk greatly. So these are all of the things that were involved in keeping the systems and the state operational. One of the other things that's really important. I mentioned those applications. Certain applications have had huge demands. Like for instance, our unemployment insurance system. We at first found that it hadn't been engineered for that kind of load. And so our technology office worked with the agency um, labor and employment, and we were able to change some architectural aspects of the system, the way they were accessing and storing things in the database. And we now just heard that we just processed 250,000 unemployment insurance claims. Wow. But it doesn't stop there. I mean, like the public health lab, which is running the tests, that had to be really expanded with the help of one of our vendors, our Colorado Benefits Management System, um, which is providing benefits to the vulnerable. You know, we have 10 different changes that have come in from the feds on things that have had to be changed in order to comply with some waivers and such. So in real time, we're you know, keeping these systems running, but we're updating them. And we're also doing capacity planning in the expectation of future demand increasing. And we're looking to our agency business partners to help prioritize OIT's work here so we can be aligned in terms of agency surges. So, Teresa, you mentioned you know services for first responders. I've also read a little bit about your work with the My Colorado app and with a ton of new and increased traffic going to state government websites and remote workforce. There's also security risks, right? And could you just talk about how your agency is dealing with an increase in cybersecurity threats during this crisis? Yes, cybersecurity is one of our top priorities. It's actually a wildly important goal to enhance our security. So at this time, what we did was we ramped up our VPN capacity from 10,000 users, tripling it to now 30,000 users. Also, we have a policy that we do not allow um, VPN on personal computers that would be needing to be used on state computers. And so, like I said, we purchased about 1,800 laptops for the surge in remote workers. Some of our agencies are doing the same to equip some of the counties that we support. We're also working to educate the employees because the first line of defense is for employees to do the right thing and to be vigilant. And so we write up cyber tips for spotting COVID-19 scams. We do semi-weekly service desk bulletins out to all of the 
employees in the state on things they should be looking out for. This tech kit I mentioned, we keep updating it to include more and more information on how to secure their systems, their home networks. And so we have a strong cybersecurity team which watches out for these things and is you know, constantly helping educate our employees to do the right things. That's great to hear. So shifting gears a little bit, because we know our listeners are interested in hearing more about your background and professional experiences. As Matt mentioned in the intro, you have an engineering degree, you're a tech entrepreneur, an author, and then became state CIO. Can you talk to us a little bit about your background and how you ended up as CIO in Colorado? Yes. Well, my path was to move from being an engineer at Bell Labs to a product manager then at AT AT&T. I became a management consultant helping firms, especially tech firms, thrive and then have done three entrepreneurial startups. And fortunately, with this path, I've seen it all, so to speak. And I got to the point in entrepreneurship that I started asking the question, well, maybe my next step is in government. I was actually even thinking of running for office when I heard Governor Polis on the radio after he had won the election, opportunity knocked. And he said, I'm looking for good people. Go to my website and apply. And so I did. And it was a perfect match and a way for me to continue to make a meaningful difference. And so I'm pleased that, you know, I came on board with him in January of 2019. So it's been just over a year now. And I have found that my private sector experience is so helpful because I used to be CEO of a firm that was responding to RFPs and trying to sell technology. And so now I'm on the other side, actually, you know, looking at those tech companies, evaluating and see them and seeing how we can utilize them to complement the great skills within our Office of Information Technology. That's great. So as you probably know from being around NASIO staff, our staff is made up of a majority of women, but the state CIOs are majority male. And at NASIO, we're always talking about the need for more gender diversity in the tech space. So would you mind discussing some of the challenges that you've had to overcome specifically with regard to gender? And do you have any advice for women getting started in the tech world? Certainly. Yes. As I've moved along, you know, there have been not as many women in computers, in information technology as we need. You know, I'm aware of the National Center for Women in Information Technology, NCWIT, and they track statistics which show, unfortunately, over the years, the numbers of women in the IT arena has gone down. This is not good. I mean, when you look at business and lawyers and doctors, those areas have come to par. And so one of the things I like to do is encourage young girls to start early, to understand that technology is something that they can do. And so I'm a Girl Scout leader. I actually still have a troop of high schoolers. And what I do is try to work with them so that they can get exposed to technology. Girl Scouts USA introduced all of these tech 
patches, like uh, cybersecurity. And so they can get exposed in that way. Also, I encourage women to build a strong network, not only women, yes, those are important, and I like having being part of women's organizations, but also men who may be in the points of power. How can they help you? How can you find others to help you along the way? I encourage women and everybody actually to get as much education as you can. It's something that no one can ever take away from you, and it puts you in a competitive position. Yet, you need to be bold and to leverage your strengths and like a sunflower, have self-confidence, believe in yourself and work to attract, you know, what you can. I think that having a role model, um, Marie Curie was one of my role models. You know, here she was, won two Nobel Prizes as a scientist before women were even in that field. And so we need to surround ourselves by other strong women and strong men. And we can do it. And we need to because it's the benefit of the whole country and the state. Absolutely. For sure. sure. And 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 mentorship is such a crucial part of that, you know, regardless if you're a man or a woman, but I completely agree with you. And it's, uh, it's very inspiring to hear, you know, how you're giving back and trying to encourage that future generation uh, and future generations to get involved and have that passion for learning and service. So that's really wonderful to hear. Teresa, as you know, we had 25 new state CIOs in 2019. You were one of them, although I think 15 or 16 months on the job now makes you a veteran CIO. Um, <laughs> we've we've also had a few more new CIOs already this year. Do you have any key lessons learned so far that you want to share with your fellow CIOs, especially the ones who may have just been appointed by their governors? Yes, I've been thinking about this. And one is you need to act fast. You know, your governor has a certain term. And in that term, your governor wants to see change. So you have to be willing to change. Well, how are you going to know what kind of changes to make? I believe you have to start with assessing the situation. I talked about the four-stage pursuit of passion and purpose process. It could start with assessing progress, then connect with your passion, connect your passion to a meaningful purpose, and then pursue that purpose. But I think bringing in independent perspectives in order to assess and improve is so helpful. And innovating. One of the things um, I came in, we had in the Office of Information Technology in the state of Colorado some core values. I think it all starts with core values, but I realized we had not stated that innovation is such a key element that we have to be willing to drive. And that's why one of the initiatives that I've had since coming in, there have been a lot, but is to stand up a technology incubator. And we basically have been looking at what kind of innovations can be brought in that might provide a real good ROI and case study that can turn things around. For example, we've been implementing some new virtual call centers based on a new pay-as-you-go paradigm, which have been diffusing like wildfire through our agencies. We're doing more electronic document signature usage. So being innovative and looking 
ways to encourage that within your organization. I'm working to expand digital transformation in line with that innovation. I hired a digital transformation officer, our first ever blockchain solution architect, and we brought in the Colorado Digital Service, which is a group that brings in power and talent from the private sector who may not have ever thought of coming into the government. And so these are all innovative approaches that has really been turning things around. The other thing is the My Colorado mobile app, which is the official state of Colorado mobile app. And right now, when people are staying at home more, they can, right in their hands, have new capabilities that will support our stay-at-home order. For example, we've introduced the Colorado Digital ID, but also certain COVID-19 information, banner, access to our Colorado Benefits Management peak system. So I believe it's uh, innovate or die, change or die. We have to be the ones, CIOs, with our team, being on the forefront, leading change. All good advice. Before we wrap up, we know this is a stressful time for people and nothing seems quite normal. So what's something that you've been doing outside of work to make life seem a little bit more normal? Well, I'm a longtime meditator. And so every day, twice a day, I meditate. I also exercise, um, even though it may be doing push-ups on my floor, not going to the gym. I ride my bike, my stationary bike while reading all these papers. But the third thing is I'm really excited about this howling at 8 p.m. at night. I don't know if you've heard that, if it's taken off in your part of the country. Yep, it's great. Oh, I love it. I mean, it makes me so joyful to go outside and to hear others in the neighborhood I can't see, but howling in appreciation to everyone who is working so hard on the front lines, the first responders, the health care people, the government workers, and the people working so hard to stay at home and to stay healthy. Yep. That's interesting. I had not heard that. We don't have that here in Kentucky, but they've been doing it here in DC. It's, it's really funny. You can start it. You can start it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Teresa, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. We truly appreciate it and hope to see you in person soon. Yes. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. This was awesome. Thanks, Teresa. Bye. Bye. Thanks again for listening to NASIO Voices. We look forward to continuing to provide you with weekly episodes highlighting some of the incredible efforts of state IT agencies throughout this pandemic. Please stay safe and healthy. We'll talk with you next week. Bye-bye.